Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. You know, this is working out to be, as it on it quite honestly should be, the perfect time for us to get ready to go on vacation, which we're happening next week. There won't be a show next week. There should be a show the following week. But, you know, the the, the news is starting to die down. We're, we're getting to the point where, at the very least, I think most of the business offices are probably shutting down for the teams for the holidays, and they're taking a much-deserved break before things truly ramp up for, for winter testing. And even some of the the silliness has... Well, actually, not some of. The silliness is pretty much tapered off on Twitter as well because, you know, well, things are getting ready for the holidays. So this works well for us. It well, give you that's that reminder. because Bob got drunk at the Christmas party, and they're still trying to clean it up. So they can't tweet about it right now. Which Bob? The Bob that's at every one of those teams that got drunk. Oh, so, so not Bob Fernley. No. Okay, because we're going spe- to talk about him later. Not a specific Bob, but that Bob. You know, we yeah. all have the Bob in our office that gets drunk at every occasion. Human superglue Bob? Yes. Yeah. That loud talker from Dobert Bob. Mm. But it's really drunk Bob that kind of is the biggest <laughs> problem. And, you know, they got to clean up the mess he created on the, the floor of their various places. And but with all of that starting to not happen we do have some stories but we had one other kind of cool thing happen you got the opportunity to pay a visit to um the u.s offices of a fairly major commercial partner for several teams um i did i did um i finished i visited this past week to the offices of puma north america which um has it's a subsidiary kind of a way of thinking about it of puma global well it's that weird way that some of these global companies do business in other countries um yeah originally the the north america arm was truly part of the global piece Mm -hmm. um they spun off several years ago to be able to go in their own direction and leverage things and work sort of more independently than true global global is much more responsible for what's going on in europe and their f1 pieces um, while they dictate things down to North America, North America leads the edge in the Puma organization for technology. Mm. Um, and it's, it's new ventures and new ideas start in the North American market and then work their way back to um, Germany because apparently that's just the way tech tends to work. It leads in America and then goes back overseas. Um, but I thought you know, part of my trip was – you know, really immersive into the Puma brand and the Puma story. And I got to telling you what the story was, and you said that was really cool. And I don't know if everybody understands, because I grew up knowing who Puma was and knowing who some other, you know, sporting brands were. Yeah. But you don't ever, you don't necessarily know what makes them truly special. So I think their story is really unique. Honestly, and, and Nike also has a fairly in-depth story of how they're i think this is a better story than 90s. <laughs> so in 1924 we're going to put our wayback machines on in 1924 two brothers rudolph and adolf dossler um formed a shoe company in i'm going to try it herzgen wrote herzgen rocher roche germany it's about 14 letters long and um it's not a pretty language <laughs> Not 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 an house fart though, right? Not an house fart. No. Okay. 
Um, anyway, they formed this uh, Dossler Brothers Shoe Factory um, in this H town in Germany, um, where both where both the brothers still function in their shoe businesses today. Now, in the 1928 Olympics, most of the German athletes wore Dossler shoes. Um, and including some of our own athletes, Jesse Owens being one of them in the 36 Olympics, they won in their time as Dossler brothers, they won like seven gold medals. They were very well known in the Olympic shoe market, track and field particularly. Mm -hmm. They rocked along for a while. World War II ends. And the next thing you hear about the Dossler brothers is that Rudolf Dossler um, founds Puma. And... There is a major sibling breakdown between Adolf and Rudolf. They build factories across the street from each other. Puma begins its growth and development under the leadership of Rudolf. And you may have heard of what Adolf did because they hybrid his name and it's now Adidas. Adidas. The two funk Adidas. Adidas. Um, the two companies are literally across the street from each other in this town that is extremely shoe conscious it is very well known that when you go there they look at your shoes to know whose side you're on of the sibling war that is now going on for what 80 years yeah um adolf rudolph long dead war still goes on they have extreme security around both of their buildings and if one of them starts a building program the other one starts a building program they have basically have matched each other for buildings everything size campuses at one point during their history one of the two brothers i don't know which one tried to put the other brother out of business by going into an in-depth building program <laughs> because he knew the brother would copy him you know like spend a bunch of money to see if he could sink his brother in that process but yeah i can imagine that christmas dinner was not fun at their well, house it, it leads me to, to ask the question though was this truly a game of match for match, or was this a game of can you top this? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, you, you just kind of, as you listen to the story unfold, you could see these two German shoe guys going, I'm going to best you. And they really competed for a very long time in a very similar market. Puma went after a very um, tech-based market, and Adidas um, was right there with them. Adidas was one of the first ones to start to sign um, icons with like Run DMC mm -hmm. in the 80s. Um, Puma did a whole lot better with the icon signing. Um, they had people all the way back. They had Martina Navratilova. They had. I thought Adidas had like Pele or somebody. That was no, like Pele was Puma. Ooh. Pele was the first of the legendary icons of Puma. So all the Puma folks that are listening, please don't egg me. Yeah, don't don't egg him. Um, but it's really quite cool. Um, the offices that are here in the states. I've been told that Germany is the same way. Um, you see. Every person in the office is decked out pretty much head to toe in Puma gear. Um, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, it, it's it, but it's crazy. You know, you're talking about multi million dollar company, and the the head of the company, senior vice presidents, are walking around in you know Puma shoes and Puma track pants. I mean, <laughs> it's head to toe Puma stuff. Um, so that was a very cool piece. 
what I can tell you is that it just so happened, and I totally did not plan my trip around it, that Puma was doing a sample sale while we were there. And I was able to pick up a um, Red Bull racing shirt for our son as he has outgrown his old Red Bull racing shirt. Yeah. So. I mean, you get the opportunity to do it, see quite a bit while you were there. Um, one of the things that I don't think a lot of people quite realize is – Puma's actual involvement in Formula One because it is fairly understated, but they they play a major part. I mean, they they're the athletic wear and logo sponsor for Mercedes, Ferrari. Red Bull, and Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And then they have other sponsorships for other parts and pieces, like some individual driver sponsorships. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny because everybody that I work with um, at Puma knows how much I love Formula One. <laughs> and one of the first things they said to me when I got there was, we're so sorry to hear one of your drivers retired. <laughs> and I, I just had to laugh. I'm like, well, I wish he was really mine. But no. Um, <laughs> and um, they're like, yeah, they had. And they so from a marketing standpoint, it, you we talked about how it affected Mercedes. Mm-hmm. What we didn't talk about was how Nico's retirement suddenly affected his sponsors. Sure. Because now everything on the website that had him, and this is global level, everything on the website that had him had to get pulled. And that's just a nightmarishly swirling event. And it happened here right at the height of their Christmas shopping season. Height of the Christmas shopping season where here you had the opportunity to promote a world championship with your logo Uh and gone. Whooshed gone. Yeah. Um and did I tell you that they are running uh, currently a uh, sweepstakes on their Twitter feed for Daniel Ricardo's shoes? I saw that. There, there was some mention uh, about uh, the, um, shoeies. the shoeies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, they are doing a uh, – I think it may be single shoes because when they do typically the shoes, if they're signed single shoes, mm. um, that's what they did bolt right after the Olympics. Okay. Um, and so he had these gold spikes there sitting yes, around the office. Yes, that's what he does. The uh, the office was a couple of pairs of these crazy gold spikes. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's cr- incredible how many people they sponsor, and beyond just the Formula One world, they sponsor BMW Motorsport. Mm-hmm. Um, they sponsor another um, another racing team, and then they've got legs into the Premier League and into the Italian League. Um, in football, and then they've got golf. I mean, they, yeah, they've got, got a full golf, portfolio of, of sports, sports partnerships. Partnerships, and what's funny is that's the part of their industry that you know it's their that's the bread and butter stuff for them. Yeah, they're also looking ahead at all of their entertainers and their uh, cultural icons. Uh, Rihanna, Kylie, um, the Weekend is their new one of their new sponsors. I'm not cool enough to know who these people really are. <laughs> um, oh, you should know at least know who Kylie Minogue is. Uh, that would be Kylie Jenner. Oh, okay. I I, yeah, I went with you, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah, not Kylie I, I, Minogue. I, I assumed Kylie Minogue. No, no, Kylie Jenner. Um, the weekend. Um, I think they're a band, maybe, but like I said, not cool enough to know what these people are. Um, street running is now a new big deal thing. I had to learn what that was. Like, I'm totally uncool. Yeah, I'm still stuck with the whole Kylie Minogue, Kylie Jenner thing. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> 
Sorry, we'll get you up to date. You know, it's kind of funny when you you, you talk into them and they're like, oh, and we're going to get Kylie to promote this and Kylie to promote that. And you just learn that that's the only Kylie they know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that that sounds really kind of cool. No, not kind of. It was really cool. Um, But let's talk about the few doings that have happened in Formula One this week. Actually, people did show up to work, and maybe Bob got back in the office after he was mortified or something. Well, we had a different Bob back in the office. Um, one of your favorites, Bob Fernley. Oh, we haven't what heard did from Fernley Bob. Do? We haven't heard from Bob in a while. Yeah, they let him out of his locked cage. They did, and I think promptly locked him back <laughs> up again because he's um, a bit mad at the F1 strategy group. Of course, he is. So earlier this week, there was a meeting of the F1 strategy group. Now, the good news from this is that we have heard nothing, and and we heard that they were going to do this after we had our disaster qualifying. We are not hearing any talk of changing qualifying again. So let's start there. Yay! So hopefully they will realize that that topic is the third rail of F1 and avoid (laughs) it completely because that was really dumb. But... Um, Bob Fernley and Force India put forth a proposal to increase um, the limits that are placed on teams doing development using computational fluid dynamics, or CFD. So this is, instead of using a wind tunnel, you're using uh, computer simulations to do your design. Right. Now, the team that, before it was Manor, was Marusha, and initially started as Virgin Racing, they originally started on the premise that they were going to be a 100% computation CFD design car. It didn't work very well. No, it didn't. But I think they learned that you really do need a wind tunnel at some point. But there are efficiencies to being able to use CFD. There, there are efficiencies, and the reality is computing power and CFD in general has advanced dramatically since the days when this was tried. But there have been limitations placed on it by the FIA as, and, and the strategy group as part of the, the cost-cutting exercises. Mm-hmm. So, And I would have thought it would have gone the other direction because wind tunnel time is expensive. Yeah. So I, I would have been surprised that you would have thought that that was the alternative to wind tunnels and a, a lesser expense to the wind tunnels. Well, Force India came up with the proposal that they put forth at the most recent strategy group meeting of – making changes to allow more CFD development to occur. And uh, the strategy group shot him down. No way. Bob is mad. Um, He has branded the strategy group, quote, not fit for purpose. Wow. Now, his big objection is that um, basically several of the teams, in particular in this case it was Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull, McLaren, and Williams, mm-hmm. you know, not several, pretty much all of them, because they voted against it, 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 it the strategy group doesn't work. Ah. Now, what Bob's exact words here? I think it shows the flaws in the strategy group. A program that has been proposed to benefit F1 as a whole and progress technology in F1 so that we become a leading exponent of the technology has been rejected purely on self-interest. And that self-interest just shows how bad the concept of the strategy group is. It just confirms what I've always said. It's not fit for purpose. We're on it, but but all it does is allow us to witness how unfair it is. 
It was a very detailed proposal, and we believe it had merit. The concept was able to was to be able to progress to CFD if you wanted to do it, and it was open for everybody to be able to do that. The only reason the teams have voted against that is to protect the advantage that they have today. It is just a refusal to allow things to progress. Mm. Now, we don't have any other statements by the teams to explain why they made the decision to follow. But, you know, Bob went on in his statement to say a bit more about how the strategy group decided not to do this. They also rejected a proposal from Manor, th that came from Manor, even though Manor does not sit on the strategy group, uh, rejected a proposal from them to give more wind tunnel time to teams using the cheaper and less accurate 50% scale tunnels rather than 60%, which has become the norm. Once again, however, only Force India supported the idea. Well, okay, I get that some of the strategy group people are going to be looking out for themselves. Actually, all of them are. I mean, they're looking out for their own teams. I get that. But if they're the only people that support this, shouldn't that tell you something? That it's not, it, it may not be good for the whole? That's what I don't know. And, and we don't have the other side of the story because nobody else is really talking. Because um, I'm kind of waiting for, like, Christian Horner to go, yeah, it sounds like it's a good idea, but when you put it in practice, it doesn't work. Well, you know, something uh, like that. Yeah, and, and, and my concern is, you know, Christian Horner's position has always been, well, we're not here to give charity to the other teams. Well, so screw them. Even, yeah. even if that in its own right doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, yeah, and then when Mercedes did the same thing to him, he was like, well, they yeah. should be thinking about more than just them. Th yeah, think so bigger I, than your own team. I, I get that, but I would think that if it really had some level of merit, because even if you're a big team with deep, deep pockets, and let's think that through for a second. If you are a big team with deep, deep pockets and you had an opportunity to use a cost-saving method that might allow you to spend your deep, deep pockets someplace else – you're not going to necessarily think that's a bad idea. Yeah. So. What Bob went on to say in reaction to the decision against the Manor proposal was that a team like Manor has no voice. They can put things to the strategy group. Five teams vote against it. And really for no reason whatsoever other than protecting their own interests, we want to get the sport competitive. There are times when you've got to allow a little bit of flexibility. And I don't think it was an unreasonable proposal. Well, apparently he's the only one. Yeah, and and without knowing what the other team's positions were, it, it's well, hard for us really to— Really exactly what got proposed. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, these are like—sometimes these are like laws in Congress where they roll a lot of pork in them, and somebody, you know, they name them, you know, good law for the betterment of everybody, but there's so much pork in it that people have to vote it down because they're trying to get rid of— the other pieces and then all of a sudden now the attack ads they voted against good law for the betterment of people when they really voted against 92 pieces of pork legislation and yeah. that's what i wonder if that's not some of that too. and and we just we don't know and, and we may never know unless somebody gets mad that bob is spouting his mouth off again and decides to lash out against him and eh, he's gonna fade into the, into the bleakness of the night here shortly again because we don't hear from him all the time so moving on, uh, we have word that the sale of Formula One is progressing. Uh, Liberty Media has gotten approval from antitrust authorities Yay. to execute the deal. Now, this is not still not fully a done deal. Um, 
we do know to help further the, the process, Liberty has raised $1.55 billion from investors. Now, they've done this, but the one thing they have not done yet is they don't have approval from their own shareholders to execute this deal. Ouch. Now, I would assume that if they're able to get $1.55 billion from their investors, that the shareholders are probably going to step in line, but that checkbox hasn't been done. The other checkbox that hasn't been done yet is the one from the FIA. Again, no reason to think that they're, they wouldn't get that, but it hasn't happened yet. Okay. But that deal is moving forward. You're giggling. I mean, I, I'm, I wait, am. I'm waiting for what this, this shoe to drop is. Your favorite team boss, with favorites in air quotes. Oh, what did Monisha do now? <laughs> Monisha, Monisha, Monisha. She says that they are not considering the 2017 season to be a transition year. So she's given up now. She's done. They've already uh, conceded the entire season. Um, they're looking to 2018 as their transition year? No. She says that they have a vision, and that vision is set up for the next coming years. Whatever we want to achieve in the first year, we will do. The target is clearly to make a big step ahead, to be back in the midfield and take it from there. Next year is a very... Next year is a very crucial year. Aren't they using the same Ferrari engines they used this year? Yeah. Oh. And they're doing all those things that you might think would happen in a team's transition year. It's just our goal to rebuild and bring everything back to it. That, that's it. It's not a transition year. It's a rebuilding year. <laughs> yeah, we're not up to transitioning yet. We're still rebuilding. She says, we're not just going to say, it's now a transition and we've had enough and now it's time to get on with the business. I'm not sure what the hell that means. <laughs> I don't think Monisha knows what that means. I, this is a woman who can't count to two. <laughs> no, she can, she can count to two. She can even count to four. What she has not figured out is how to divide four by two <laughs> without a lawsuit. <laughs> she, can, she can count well past two. I, I'm sure of that. She also can't figure out how to how to differentiate between the fake Russian investors and the real Russian investors. Do you know the more we explore the fabulous principleness that is Monisha, it really makes me wonder if she is truly any more qualified for that job than oh me. You mean the fact that she she found. She, she initially started her search of finding new investors for the team by responding to the uh, Nigerian prince. prince. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was exactly where I was going. Yes. <laughs> See, there when, was... when the Nigerian prince didn't didn't pan out, then it was the 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 U.S. Marine Colonel who was trying to get the gold out of Libya, mm -hmm. and then when that didn't work, it was the dying uh, widow. Yes. And then, of course, there was her bestie next door that was traveling and needed some help um, to uh, get out of jail and their their process. Yeah. And so she had to stop everything to do that for a while. I, yeah. Like, I don't get it. I, I just don't understand how how is she more qualified than to do that job than your average, oh, 
I would take like some of the people that are applying for the Mercedes driver position and saying they might know more. Surely they can find somebody who's got some better business sense to to step in at this point because business sense and being able to like inspire the team, market the team. Yes, both. Well, now that we have wrapped up the season, Put a little bow se- on. several of the drivers are now looking back at their performance from the previous season and doing some self evaluations. Oh, are they filling out their, their self evaluation yeah, forms they, before the team fills out their for yeah, the it's, review? It's, it's their get review their... And, and, and their inputs, and, and you know, it's, it's the full three three sixty review process and all. You know, HR requires this every year. It, it, it just frustrates them, mm-hmm. but. Um, Several of the drivers are looking back at their performance and re- reflecting on the previous year and going, um, wow, my seat may be in jeopardy. I may not have a job next year. Or if I don't figure something out, I could be in trouble. Um, you know, that, that double secret probation, that, that, that I got to deal with that. One of those drivers would happen to be Daniel Kvyat. Well, we definitely talked about the fact that we thought he was on the bubble this year. Daniel said, believes that he has he matched Daniel Ricardo's performance um, when they were F1 teammates, despite his demotion. Mm. Now, the numbers, at least for 2015, they they support that. the The two were were very close, and I think actually, in terms of, of performance, Daniel was. Daniel Kvyat was slightly ahead of Daniel Ricciardo for 2015. 2016, yeah, I think arguably they were close. And I I think the the true reason for uh, Kvyat's demotion may not actually come to light for a couple of years. It may have had less to do with, with... Daniel's performance, yes, there w- the weekend prior w- was a very fairly low point, you know, hitting Seb twice. And I won't play the audio. We played it last week. Yeah. You, you all have had that seared in, so we don't need that right now. But arguably it was more to try and make head off anything, anybody stealing Max. Well, we said that in the year. Um, and that's a crappy place to be. It is. He, 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 there is no chance that I believe that Daniel Cavia didn't get a little screwed in trying to edge the competition out of anything that would happen with Max. Max was uh, turning into a quite the superstar on the track, and they needed to do something. And they didn't have three seats because unlike Monisha, they can count. Yeah. They didn't have three seats at the top team, mm-hmm. so they had to make a choice. And I think you said this back when they made the move, that you thought the move was less about Kvyat's performance and more about Ma- about Max's protection Yes, than anything else. Um, I don't think that running into the back of Seb twice helped his cause any. So if they were looking at all things being equal... And if you think about going into the season, if Ricardo and Kvyat were equals, you're going to look at their performance and you're like, where are they coming Mm -hmm. out each and every time? Ricardo has a couple of things on Kvyat for longevity at at the top team. Not the least of which is he's iconically a great personality. 
he's good for the marketing of Red Bull. And Red Bull's got to look at that, too. He is, but from what I've heard, Kvyat was also one of these folks who was, he was he had a, a decent personality, despite his, his penchant for reading Dostoevsky. Um, he, he was actually somebody that was... Well, still is liked in the paddock, and you know, nice guy, liked in the paddock. I don't think he has the infectiousness that is Ricardo. Yeah, that that I could agree with. I mean, Ricardo would have a bad day and couldn't stop smiling, mm-hmm. and that I mean, the reporters would comment on Ricardo. I mean, Ricardo got angry what at Monaco. I mean, that was like the first time. And even when he said, I can't talk about it and walked away, the reporters were like, he'll get through it and he'll be okay and he'll come back. And it wasn't like he was moody or anything like that. I think Kvyat is a little bit younger. He's a little bit more bookish. He's not as infectious as Ricardo is. And I think the Red Bull team has to look at that and weigh that into the scenario. Mm-hmm. You have to weigh in whether or not you're running up the back end of Seb. I mean, that's that's poor manners. And if they're going to get incidents because they keep one over the other, they're going to take the one that has less incidents. I mean, so even if their, dri- their driving was the same, they weren't the same. Yeah. I feel sorry for him. I mean, he's a good driver. He... I get that he got upset and got depressed, and he had a really tough year this year. Yeah, I mean, he after getting demoted, which truly it should have been his chance to show that he didn't belong where they put him, he then got beaten pretty soundly by Carlos Sainz. Right. And I think some of that was he wasn't ready to get out of his own head. He wasn't ready to get out of his own head. Daniel says that a lot of it is because this was a car that was not designed for him. Right. He wasn't involved in any of the process with it. Of course, then you look at, well, you know, Max hopped right in that Red Bull and, and crushed everybody. Yeah, but the top team is going to have a little bit more money. It, it's not that they have to redesign the car around Max, but, you know, they, they, they were probably able to make some quicker tweaks than Toro Rosso could make. Not to mention, don't forget, Toro Rosso had a non-upgraded engine. Yeah. For the better part of the year. So the the leaps that happened in Toro Rosso at the early part of the year were just going to diminish at the but, but back. But you're looking at it from a different level of judging. Mm-hmm. At that point, you're not necessarily judging the drivers and the performance of the car based on the rest of the field. You're comparing you, it to Carlos. Yeah. And in that case, they both had the same car. They both had the same engine. And the non-upgradedness didn't matter. But Daniel... and And... One of the things that probably did not help is, if you recall, the week after this demotion happened, or two weeks after this demotion happened, whichever was, was Barcelona. The return to the European season and the motorhomes and all of that. And the reason why the motorhomes are significant is because of how Red Bull works. Red Bull brings to the European races, it's called the Red Bull Energy Station. This is a combined... Land yacht. <laughs> Best way. I mean, it, it's it's multiple motorhomes that are put together, but it is one big structure and facility that serves as the motorhome for both Red Bull and Toro Rosso. 
with one team on one side of the, the, the energy station and the other team on the other. So, yes, he got demoted, but then he had to spend every time that he walked into the energy station, you know, to go to the driver's briefings and all the other stuff, there it is thrown right in his face. That there's Red Bull, and he's not on that team, and Max is in his spot. And that's harsh. I think it rubbed salt in the wound. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I really do. I think that rubbed absolute salt in the wound. Um, we'll see. I, I think, I hope that he's in a mentally better place because, quite frankly, he's got this year to sort it out and prove that he can go to another team. He yeah. needs to see the, you know, Red Bull needs to see the backside of Kvyat so that Kvyat can advance. But he's got to have somebody interested in him, and he's not going to be interesting if he's angry. Mm -hmm. Angry caveat is not a good caveat. Well, another driver that is upset over being passed over would be Pascal Verline, who, as you recall, when we started the season in 2016, he was expected to be the next wonder kid right after Max to light the world on fire. And sure enough, he had some really good flashes there. I mean, he got Manor their first point in the current guys and second point ever that the team has ever had he got some appearances in q2 a lot more than i think we had ever seen a matter before mm -hmm. but then esteban Ocon came in middle of the season and kind of outshone him and got picked up by force india leaving pascal behind well pascal has said that now he underestimated the off-track challenges of formula one huh what does he mean by that well, what we know is that, and, and, and this is all we know, is that it, it has emerged that Pascal missed out for reasons not related to his on-track performance. And we're talking about the Force India seat. Not related to his on-track performance, but rather how it was believed he would have integrated with the team. And the 22-year-old says that he will learn from that feedback having entered F1 from the DTM. Interesting. So when he got his review, he probably was handed, you need to be a little bit more mature and play well with others. Yeah. What, what I find is interesting, though, is that, okay, so Force India brought on Esteban Ocon mm -hmm. to replace Nico Hulkenberg, whose teammate was Sergio Perez. Sergio came in, if I remember correctly, it was Sergio Perez, was it Sergio that came in to replace Paul DeResta, or was that Nico? No, it was Nico Hulkenberg that came in to replace Paul DeResta. One of the, the reasons that it was said that Paul lost his seat was because he was known to be a little fiery hmm. when the team did not perform to what he felt were appropriate standards. It's the they obviously have a culture of working well and playing well with others, and they they, they want a driver that will fit in with them and work with them and not lose their crap when something doesn't go right. Right, and there's something to be said for that. And all the teams, to some level, have to look at how well these people fit in with their team. They're on the road a lot together. They are hyper involved with each other well the, um, the team needs to rely on the driver to give them all of that data that they mm -hmm. cannot collect from technological means 
Right. And they've got to have a good interaction. And it's one of the things that if you look at the top teams, one of the first things that they tend to point to as their secret sauce, they're not so secret sauce because they point to it, (laughs) but their secret sauce is that driver, whoever that driver is, works well with their engineering team. Mm -hmm. They are constantly working with the engineering team to morph the process forward. Well, if you're angry or if you're upset that the team's not, you don't feel the team is supporting you, and Lewis has felt this way, and Lewis yeah. has gotten bit by it, so it's not just a back marker thing. Um, when you feel that way, you're no longer supporting your engineers in that very special required way. Keep in mind, it does not serve a driver well to forget that his very life is in those engineers' hands. Mm-hmm. So when they remember that, they I think they tend to treat them better. Yeah. Well, for a driver to truly perform at the top level, they need the engine they need to provide the engineers with the feedback that the engineers need mm-hmm. to tune and tweak that car to the level and settings that gives the driver the confidence that they need to take it right to the edge. Right. And they need to be able to provide useful feedback it's not this car sucks it is this car would handle better if it had yeah there's too much toe there's not yeah yeah there's not this or i'm feeling this way when i do this what do i need to do because you know and some of it is getting the engineers to feedback of hey if you let the clutch off in a different way you'll have a better start Mm -hmm. you know let's practice that and stuff like that i mean there's it's it's a it's a relationship that they have to be working in. There's no time that you and I haven't talked about what is the key to making a world champion, and it's having the right car, the right driver, and the right team. All at the same time. All at the same time. Yeah. And it's never about being truly what is, would be technically the best driver on the track. It is having the all the parts and the right timing. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about somebody who seems to lately not have the right timing. Fernando Alonso. Oh. So last week, we talked about how his manager, Flavio Briatore, said, Fernando is not going to Mercedes. He's committed to McLaren. He is staying with McLaren. He is going to stay the course. It is McLaren, McLaren, McLaren. No Mercedes. Okay. This week we heard from Fernando, who has said that he is fully committed to McLaren, no Mercedes. Okay. I don't know if I have a comment to that, I, unless yeah. you're following up with, and he was caught walking around his hometown in Spain. Talking to Toto, no. <laughs> in Spain, <laughs> talking to Toto or no, wearing we, a Mercedes we, shirt. We, 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 have not, we have not heard anything about, you know, Nicky Lauda or Toto Wolf visiting Fernando. The, the bugs haven't picked up the conversations between them. None, none of that. Toto but, hasn't called Fernando's father or anything like that. Yeah, not that, not that we know of. He's, he's not having... Tea with Fernando in uh, Fernando's mom's kitchen. None of that stuff has happened. None of that. Okay. Um, however, Nico, in, in his victory tour, mm-hmm. I think it's the best way to describe it. I mean, he's, he's definitely getting out there and enjoying the fruits of his championship. And he should. He deserves it, and I have no problem with that. I'm just 
and it's a victory tour I can get behind as in, opposed in, to other in, in many ways I, I see him out more and sharing more and celebrating more than we have ever seen in Nico and and that more than anything else is what amuses me and but he's retired now he can do this kind of stuff you know next week I hear he's going to be playing golf at, at Pebble Beach and mm-hmm. wearing you know the 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 appropriate golf attire and the knee high socks i mean he's retired now he can do these well, things i wonder he if might he'll even do be buying a lincoln continental i mean hey i don't <laughs> think so he'll probably drive a german car um you know maybe he'll do it in the that blue that silvery blue color that t- hot teal color that his um gloves used to be in uh, it might be his, well he, i'm sure he has lots of puma t-shirts in that color i'm quite sure <laughs> yeah that was the nico color um, but Nico is, is talking about the status of his relationship with Lewis now. Mm-hmm. And he says that, you know, now we, we're talking more, we're, we're joking, it, it, things are getting better again. And, and he sees that the relationship will be back to what it was in a short period of time. And, and that makes sense. But, yeah, you know, now that we're not rivals, we, we're buds again. No, no word if Lewis has volunteered to babysit yet. Ah. Not sure I'd want to leave my baby with Lewis Hamilton. I don't know. He seems to take pretty good care of the dogs. Yeah, <laughs> but you don't just like you know walk a baby and you know leave him at home so you can go do an F one race or fly around the world. Well, I would assume that like on race weekends they wouldn't be leaving the baby with Lewis. That's not right. <laughs> Let's go back to Nico's retired. He doesn't need to, you know give up his his weekends to to race now he can spend them with the baby right but you know but you know this time of year with the holidays maybe he wants to go out to dinner with vivian one night you know they're they live in the same building i i I think i would see roscoe getting the nod for babysitting (laughs) over lewis we think that roscoe is a little bit more roscoe and coco yeah Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, they, they two. What you two babysitters you, over the you one don't, Lewis? What are you concerned that Lewis might turn around and uh, let the baby drive his eight million dollar supercar? I don't think I, I. I would worry about whether or not Lewis would be, you know, able to get the car seat into the supercar. Um, no, he would take the take. He would put the baby seat back, you know, on the sidewalk, <laughs> and he would fire up the car. And he'd stick his head out and he'd go, hey, look, if I do this, you get bitchin' flames out the tailpipe. (laughs) (laughs) Also possible. (laughs) I'd also be a little afraid that Lewis wouldn't think that the baby was appropriately attired for Lewis's, like... Well, yeah, there there might be some style choices happening Style choices. I'd I'd be concerned that the diaper would hang a little too low. Well, I, I... I don't believe that. I, we've never seen Lewis do that for all of his unique style choices. Yes. We but there could be never dying se- of the hair. Yeah. We, we have never seen pants on the ground. In, in an inappropriate height. So let, <laughs> on let, the let's, ground. Yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of wonder what kind of layette set Lewis might have given the Ross <laughs> I got to wonder about this now. I would hope that Lewis's mom had some influence <laughs> into what the Rossbergs might need um, or desire for a baby gift. 
you know, knowing Lewis, he probably gave something that was psychologically damaging to Nico as a baby gift. Maybe. You know, like a picture of his world champion trophy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, also last week, if you'll recall, we had Nikki Lauda saying that he was hoping to get the driver situation sorted fairly quickly Mm -hmm. and that he wanted to give Lewis the Christmas present of knowing who his, his teammate would be. Santa's not bringing them a driver by Christmas, is he? No, Mercedes has actually turned around. And when I saw this story, I'm like, really? We're going to have to wait that long? But Mercedes has come out and said that they are not planning on announcing the driver before the start of the new year. And again, they got a lot of applications. Well, there's that. But, but, you know, at first thought, I'm like, really? You guys are punting this that long away? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. The end of the year is, you know, two and a half, three weeks away. Business offices are closing and all that. Okay, this is really not that big a deal. But, yeah. Well, I would hope that they have identified somebody and they're working out the contract. I mean, quite frankly, whether it's announced or not, I hope that that's where they are in the process because they got to mold a seat to the person. They've got to do some stuff. Well, molding to- the seat's fairly quick. I mean, they've done they, – they did it for – um, when Alonzo was out and they needed to bring in... Uh, Van Doren brought his own seat. Now, he oh, flew he, with his own well, seat. Well, that's true. He, he, he had been fitted to, to the... He'd, he'd driven the car, so... Right. but he had to haul his own seat in. That was one of our stories last year, yeah. was Van Doren showing up at the track with his own seat. Okay, but, when when Lotterer drove for, for um, Renault a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. that was announced like four days beforehand. I know, so, but they can make a seat pretty quick. That's a top team. He's going to want, whoever this person is, is going to want to have some influence on how the car set up for him or her. Um, you know, I, I, I'm still betting that Susie's a little upset that this happened and she can't get the seat. Well, the leading rumor now, actually, not even really leading one it, it appears to be confirmed from the bbc talking to toto wolf that another driver with connections to toto wolf is the leading candidate oh. that driver would be somebody that toto has already said that tapping him would be in his mind a worst case scenario Ooh. because toto was part of the management team for valtteri Bottas. right which would mean snatching Valtteri away from Williams. Now, Williams initially turned – apparently, they've already approached Williams with an offer that Williams has turned him down on. Okay. They now may be rethinking it. Now, what the offer, it sounds like, was is that um, they offered Williams a reduction of their engine bill by 10 million euros, which is about 8.3 million dollars – or 8.3 million pounds – which is more than half the total amount that they were paying per engine. Oh, wow. Um, Williams rejected this, but talks are ongoing. Hmm. So it sounds like, um, oh, the other thing that, that Williams is being given is the option to take Pascal. Okay. Um, now, Mercedes is reluctant to promote Pascal because they feel that after just the one season, he lacks the experience to score sufficient regular points finishes to help the team win the Constructors' Championship. But Williams, 
they've kind of got the same issue. They want an experienced driver in there. They want a driver who has, who can be the mentor and all of the various bits and pieces that are needed to guide Lance Stroll, mm-hmm. who's got the other seat. They want the rookie in there. They want to develop that. But we're talking major changes happening to the design of the car. They need a lot of driver feedback to happen. They need someone who can provide them that feedback that they trust to do that feedback. Well, you don't exactly trust Pascal Verline to do that. He's only had a season in the series. He's been down at Manor. He doesn't have a whole lot of experience. They know Valtteri. They've had Valtteri in the program for a while. They're comfortable with the feedback that he gives them. So they don't want to necessarily let him go. And then if you let him go, who do you put in the seat? And they want somebody that's got some, you know, elder statesmen. You need adult supervision. Um, so could that become a return of one of our people that have left the sport? I mean, we had three people leave the sport this year that all are senior statesmen. Um, we know Nico's not coming back. He's retired, enjoying his life at Pebble Beach. Um, so we've got Button. We've got Masa. And Masa doesn't have a contract for anything. Still wants to race. Button's not entirely sure he's ready to like give up, give up. Well, what we know is that, yes, Massa retired, technically retired. But we know that he only technically retired from Formula One. He wants to race next season. If Even if it's not in Formula One, he wants to race next season. He is actively pursuing an option to race in 2017 somewhere. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know where the calls are being made. Claire Williams has admitted that if an experienced, credible alternative was available, they would consider releasing Valtteri from his contract. Interesting. You also add on top of that that um, according to Autosport, um, he did have discussions with Williams about a contract renewal as well as with other teams about extending his stay in Formula One prior to announcing his retirement. Interesting. So the door could be opening for Felipe Massa to return from his not retirement. (laughs) So if he was to come back, let's just pretend like on a one-year transition year contract. Mm -hmm. That would be what? His third time to leave the sport? Because he had the accident? He He retired, but then in theory, possibly not. This would be if he was just in for another like year or two. Well, the thing is, after the accident, Ferrari didn't tell him, no, you can't come back. No. Ferrari's feeling was, let's recover, let's do the test, and we'll see what happens, and we'll go from there, we'll make a call. If you're up to it, we will keep you, and you will continue to drive. So I think his future but I was— I think everybody thought he wasn't coming back Yeah. it was that bad of an accident. That, that, that may have been more of what it was, but Ferrari was willing to entertain it. As opposed to when Ferrari let him go um, in 2013, mm-hmm. that was a different story. That was where it was really up in the air as to whether or not he, there was going to be a seat to follow on. Yeah. It'll be interesting. Yeah. More to come. So are we having a bigger silly season post-season than we did in the season? Because we had predicted 
or had talked about that we thought this, I mean, 70% of the grid had mm-hmm. contracts ending. This was going to be a big shakeup across we, the grid. We and were that, hoping for the good silly season. And it, the dominoes started to fall that it wasn't going to be all that much. And then with one seat, with Nico doing this surprise. And, and we were expecting it to be Kimmy's seat. We were expecting it to be the Ferrari seat that was going to just set everything off. And in this way, this is where I've got to say that Mercedes and Nico Rosberg has failed us. Because the way this was handled, we were denied the excellent silly season that we had all been looking forward to. All right. So now we have it in postseason, and it's not quite as silly because it's like all back So much has been locked down. Yeah. Yeah. It's what can happen. So we'll wait and see. Odds are we will not because our next show that we will have up will probably be posted right around the second, second or third-ish in that area. Odds are we won't have an announcement before the third. Mm -hmm. So we shall see how this pans out. But this could be kind of interesting. I hope it is, actually. Um, So on that, a short show this week because we're all headed out and you should be wrapping presents um, instead of listening to us. Or maybe you're listening to us while you're wrapping presents. Um, But we are out for next week and then we're going to come back with a New Year's extravaganza. I don't know. I I don't want to oversell it. You think extravaganza was overselling? It it might be. you know, Slightly? Yeah. So it's like four drivers and two seats overselling. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we might have a New Year's Sauber. How's that? <laughs> we'll have a New Year's Sauber. That's right. We have now made Sauber a verb. Thank you, Monisha <laughs> Keltenborn. <laughs> they have arrived, and we can now Sauber. And, and on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay.